When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curate lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Libro FM is also currently running a summer listening challenge. Each person to finish will get free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if you complete the challenge extra credit. Listeners of Get Books can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro FM, that's Libro.FM, and enter code BR3 and take pride in knowing that you are supporting your local bookstores. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 190, and we're recording on July 23rd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hey! Welcome! It's raining! It's 75 degrees! Oh, oh, yeah! (laughs) Finally, the heat has broken. Although it's supposed to get up into the high 80s again the rest of this week here anyway, so... I have uh, recently purchased an Apple Watch, and it does that thing where it like buzzes on your wrist to tell you to like get up and move and go do things. And I'm just no, it's yeah. been 150 trillion degrees. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. Shut up, Apple Watch. Which I call it the Dark Lord because it knows everything <laughs> about me. Um, but no, I'm not doing it. Go away. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my story. All right, we're just gonna let's just get right into it. So how this show works, um, as I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading recommendation for yourself, your book club, for a gift or whatever, you can send those to us. You can email them to us at getbooktobookriot.com or you can drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. If your request is time sensitive, please note that in the subject line of the email. If you use the form, just put it in big bold letters in the first line uh, so that we can get to it on time. We might email you back if we've already answered your question on the show or if we are not going to get to it in time and it is time sensitive. Okay. Um, we do have one bit of feedback from Elizabeth who has a recommendation for um, the audiobook, the person who is requesting audiobooks for family car rides. She says, I think they'd like Brandon Sanderson's Star Sight. She read it on paper, not on audio, but the heroine's a young girl on a planet that's not Earth who's raised on tales of great warriors and epics, etc., and dreams of being a starship pilot. Her dad was a pilot who turned traitor on humans when she was a baby, disgraced her family forever. Um, Sanderson's a great writer, um, and the son will like it because it's an adventure story. All right. Thank you so much for your feedback. So we are. I'm going to read the first question. I'm going to tell you about our first <laughs> And then I'm going to go get a cup of coffee and never speak again. Okay. <laughs> our first question is from Chase, who says, 
Uh, I'm about to start my PhD in August and would really like to make reading a bigger part of my life so I can have an escape from the stress of school over the next five years. Up until now, I've been mainly reading nonfiction books in areas I'm interested in, but since I read a lot of scientific papers for class, I would like to break this up by getting more into fiction. My problem, however, is that I have a hard time getting into fiction, and a lot of times I either end up reading it like it's homework or I just don't finish it. There are a few fiction books that I do enjoy, such as The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Count of Monte Cristo, 112363, and Ready Player One. I would really appreciate any recommendations, and I look forward to listening to your shows. Okay, so before we get started on recommendations for Chase, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which I guess is technically our second sponsor because we had a pre-roll, but whatever. Um, and that is Project Duchess by Sabrina Jeffries. Of course, all romance readers, you all know who Sabrina Jeffries is. She's a super, super well-known historical romance uh, author. And this is her new series. Project Duchess launches the Duke Dynasty Quartet, a new Regency series featuring the ducks and ducks, ducks, dukes. <laughs> it doesn't have ducks in it. I mean, it might have ducks in it. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> wow. Dukes and duchesses, not ducks and duchesses, though I would probably also read that, uh, that romance novel our readers cannot get enough of. So this is a My Fair Lady, like a Regency My Fair Lady, which I'm very into. The hero pledges to help introduce the heroine to society. The tagline is because duchesses are made, not born. It's not technically all the time correct, but whatever, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, and so in this series, the series follows ducal sons of an oft-widowed mother. What does that mean, oft-widowed? I mean, I know what it means technically, but in my head now, she's like a black widow, <laughs> which I doubt is the case because these are nice, fun Sabrina Jeffries historical romances and not murder mysteries. But I want that novel, too. The ducal sons of an oft-widowed mother who blazed through society in their quest to find out the truth about their individual fathers uh and in the process find that love might conquer all so i really love um historical romances about siblings like the bridgertons that whole thing i'm like super into it so sabrina jeffries is now giving us that so go check that out that's project duchess by sabrina jeffries thank you for sponsoring the show all right what do you have for chase jen Yes. Okay. So this is a really interesting list of favorites, like Hitchhikers, mm -hmm. Count of Monte Cristo, 112363, and Ready Player One. That's interesting. I picked The Psychology of Time Travel by Kate Mascarenas uh, because I think it has a bunch of different elements from various of those books all in one book. So you, it might work for you. Um, this book does get trigger warnings for eating disorders, self-harm, and suicidal ideation. It is about a group of female scientists who, in this alternate version of our world, in the 1960s, late 1960s, build the world's first time machine. Um, and as they're about to launch it, one of them, possibly because of her time traveling, has like a nervous breakdown and ends up in an institution. And the rest of the team, basically one person, hijacks it and says, like, we can't have time travel associated with her mental breakdown because it will kill our public image. So she has to, like, not be acknowledged as part of the team. We're basically going to erase her from our project. So that's what they do. And time travel, they go on to become heads of, like, this time travel agency in the UK. And, like, it almost becomes its own government. They're not governed by regular laws because how do you apply laws? to time travelers like it's very complicated and the book moves around in time it's not a linear narrative so you're constantly meeting these characters at different points 
in their lives and other people's lives. It's really interesting. Um, and one of the main characters is the granddaughter of the woman who had the breakdown right as time travel was being launched. And she starts to discover this story. And also there's a murder and lots of things are happening. And it's really hard to sum up this book because it moves around so much. Um, but it is this alternate history time travel thing, which, you know, 112263, hey, there is a big revenge subplot. So that's a little Count of Monte Cristo. Um, and it's just a really interesting take on a sci-fi premise. Like they were pitching it, if I re recall co correctly, as hidden figures meets time travel. And that's not really inaccurate. It's a really interesting and cool murder mystery slash science fiction story. And I think it's really enjoyable. So and it probably I mean, it has sciencey bits in it, but it's definitely not going to be like your science papers. So again, that's The Psychology of Time Travel by Kate Mascarenas. Okay, I picked The Lies of Luck Lamora by Scott Lynch. It seems like the books that you've named are either heists or adventures that are kind of heisty. Even The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm -hmm. It's a prison break story. So um, I wanted to go with something kind of fast-paced and adventure-y with maybe some fantasy elements. This is a lot of fantasy elements. It's not, maybe. Um, so this takes place on the island city of Comor, which is based on like 15th century Venice on another planet. So Venice in space, historical Venice in space. Um, and the main character, Lacklemore, is an orphan in this city, uh, which is, you know, very cutthroat. And he becomes an almost like Dickensian character as a child. He becomes a thief and a pickpocket, you know, to survive and eventually comes under the care of a con artist who is posing as a priest in the city. It turns out he actually is a priest to a god of thieves, but that comes later. Um, and he is raised in what is what the um, Brotherhood calls themselves the gentleman bastards and he's raised among these group of other children who are also being raised with skills to be master thieves um and he becomes as an adult this like very infamous super well-known thief who mostly in a very robin hoody kind of way targets the annoying rich people of the city um and they have you know like all of these things that make heisty thief novels and movies great like they've got a really interesting code of honor um they're, you know, hearts of gold. They only <laughs> go after people who you want to kind of see robbed anyway. Like, all of that stuff is really great. Um, also, there are gladiatorial games in this book that feature sharks. <laughs> like, you have to fight somebody <laughs> while standing on a platform in the water surrounded by man-eating flying sharks. I mention that every single time I talk about this book because I love it so deeply, I cannot tell you. Also, Shark Week starts in five days for anyone <laughs> who is into sharks. And so Locke Lamora draws the attention of one of the underworlds, like really big leaders, mob bosses kind of a thing, um, and start gets involved in this citywide conspiracy that reaches all the way up through the levels of like the city's government. And in all of him and his friends all get um, wrapped up in this like heist that is all it's a heist that is also about like it's a defensive heist like they're going to you know out on this big adventure of stealing a bunch of stuff from rich people while at the same time trying to defend themselves from this conspiracy that they've gotten wrapped in, wrapped up in so if you like Ocean's Eleven adventure kind of stuff like that then um, you know like a band of merry thieves gets together and gets in a lot of trouble and then have to have to like use their wits to get out of it plus sharks then this is definitely something you should pick up I just finished the second one which is just the most bromancy bromance that ever bromanced. Like, I love it so much. This is such a great series. It's so much fun. Um, so that's The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. 
Very nice. All right. Our next question is from Alex, who says, I'm heading away to Europe for a few weeks, traveling with my boyfriend between cities he'll be working in, and as well as the 40-hour travel time there and back from where I live in New Zealand. Wow. We will be spending a lot of time on trains. I'll be exploring on my own. I'm hoping to fill a lot of this time with reading, and I'm keen to get some suggestions set in the areas we will be in, various cities in Belgium, the Netherlands, and Germany, or stories about trains. I'd love something with good female characters and focus on relationships or maybe a little bit of mystery. I also love narrative nonfiction. At the moment, I'm a little burnt out on historical fiction, thrillers, and books with dark subject matter, so I'd rather steer clear of those. And nothing over 400 pages or so, please, for the sake of my baggage allowance. <laughs> oh, fun. Um, that is a lot of travel. Okay. You said you were on board for narrative nonfiction, so I picked a sort of fun comedic memoir about travel for you. It's called Everything is Going to be Great. The subtitle is An Underfunded and Overexposed European Grand Tour, and it is by Rachel Schuchert, who is very funny. I read this book ooh, when it came out in like 2010, so it's been a minute. I don't remember the exact specifics, but I remember being very entertained, and it is one of those like... 20-something girl on a European trip, like, not really adulting very well. <laughs> so, and people are, compare her to Sloane Crosley and David Sedaris, so it's that, like, very sharp sort of acerbic humor style. And most of it actually takes place in Vienna and Amsterdam, so a little bit of connections uh, to where you are going. And yeah, I, it's like 300 pages. I think it's just really fun. Um, it's just... You know, it's it's a travelogue by a funny lady. Like, I don't know what else to tell you about it. It's very enjoyable. So, again, that is <laughs> Everything is Going to be Great by Rachel Schuchert. Okay, I picked The Madonna of the Sleeping Cars by Maurice de Cobra, which I know you don't want to read historical fiction, but this was written at the time that it's set, which is the 20s. So it's not technically historical fiction because that has to be written at a time before the author was alive. Whatever. I'm, I'm very much leaning on this technicality here to make it work. <laughs> but this book is so much fun. It takes place on the Orient Express, like almost entirely on a train. Um, and it was one of the first bestsellers of the 20th century. It was published in 1927, I think, if I remember correctly. And it sold over 15 million copies, which for, you know, 1927 with the internet wasn't a thing and neither was like mass production that was huge it's huge so it's like charming and goofy and super weird it's about a guy named gerard who was technically some kind of prince i don't remember how um but he's you know down on his luck impoverished his marriage has fallen apart and so he moves to london and becomes the personal assistant to lady diana Wyndham, who is this very glamorous member of the peerage in britain and they get on this train and he finds himself wrapped up in this just bananas scheme that Lady Diana has concocted to save herself from her own financial impending like impending financial doom because of some bad investments without having to get married like she does not want to get married she also does not want to suddenly find herself poor because she's accustomed to a certain lifestyle so she takes this poor man her assistant on a train to the orient express to go to russia she's decided she's going to rescue her rights to a russian oil field the problem is that russia is in the midst of its communist revolution and as a member of the british aristocracy Nobody wants to see her or talk to her. What they kind of want to do is kill her. So that is the weird setup of this bananas book and adventure. 
there's like a love triangle with some communists who like really don't appreciate ladies, Lady Diana's presence. And poor Gerard. It's like just this very bumbling kind of character who's just like, I'm just here. Why are we why are we surrounded by Russians? I don't understand what's happening. And every, he's just flailing and panicky the whole time. And they're on a train. It's so much fun. You can absolutely see why this became a bestseller. And I think reading it on a train would just amplify a little bit of its kind of funny ridiculousness. It's it's just, it's a it's a romp. That's what it is. It's a romp. So that's The Madonna of the Sleeping Cars by Maurice de Cobra. Hapless sidekicks are such a good thing. Question three is from Taylor, who says, I recently had to put down one of my dogs very suddenly. I want to read something, but my usual genre of adventure or YA doesn't sound appealing. I was currently reading Throne of Glass and loving it, but it's just too much right now. I want something light that'll make me laugh, but with no death in it, especially of a pet. I recently read Tiffany Haddish's book and loved it, but I don't typically reread nonfiction. Okay, Jen, what you got? I have one of my comfort books for you. It is a middle grade fantasy novel called Dealing with Dragons by Patricia Reed. It's the first in the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, and it's just lovely and fun. It's about a princess named Cimmerine who does not particularly care for the things she has to do as a princess, dealing with matters of state and, you know, looking nice and not getting muddy are all things she is not interested in. She likes, she, she talks her, the fencing master into giving her fencing lessons and she talks the cook into giving her cooking lessons and, you know, all of these unprincessy things. And then a prince comes a Colin, and so she arranges to get herself kidnapped by a dragon because she has no interest in the prince and like basically becomes the assistant librarian to a dragon and has adventures and it's so much fun it is so distracting it's so immersive like you can just crawl inside this book and not come out for a while. And it feels like that might be the thing that you need right now. So and there's a bunch more and they're all really enjoyable. There's a cranky witch with a lot of cats. There's just all kinds of fun stuff. And there's like, you know, some drama, like there's a plot to kill one of the dragons and who's going to be the next king, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's it's mostly just just sheer joyful fun. So again, that's Dealing with Dragons by Patricia Reed. Okay, I picked also one of my comfort reads. It's called Cold Comfort Farm by Stella Gibbons. And I think my theme for this show is just banana pants books. Like This book <laughs> is so bananas. It takes place in the 30s in England. And it's about a woman named Flora who is like a so socialite in London. I think it's London. It's one of the big cities in England. Um, and she finds herself orphaned and with no financial prospects. Uh, and so she finds herself having to go stay with the Stark Adders, who are the owners of Cold Comfort Farm, distant relatives. And the reason is because they did something terrible to her father that no one will mention. And so they feel like they owe her family something. So she goes uh, to live with them. And the book is a satire. It was written to, uh, it was written in the 30s to satirize like D.H. Lawrence and all of the, and like Thomas Hardy and all of these books about like the genteel purity of the English countryside. So Flora goes out there and the Stark Adders of Cold Comfort Farm are all a wreck. Like they're just, they're all a little bit, they're all off kilter. Like they're all depressed. Nobody's keeping the farm up. They're just a total mess. And Flora comes in like 
Mary Poppins to fix all of their problems. That's not what she wants to be doing. What she wants to be doing is getting back on her feet and going back to London. But one by one, she gets involved in all of their, like, their despair and their dreams and their weird schemes and their, like, super odd life out in the middle of nowhere, isolated. Um, I saw one review that called it the Beverly Hillbillies of the UK. <laughs> and I think that that is correct. <laughs> like, it is very much that. Like, it's it's super, super funny. But it was written in the 30s. So, like, the, the it's, I'm not saying it's not by it is very biting, but it's not as um, cruel. Like, it's not cruel or um, as snarky, necessarily, as, you know, what you would imagine a satire about rural life would be if somebody wrote it right now. That's not what's happening. It's very much about, uh, not about, like, how rural people are bad or not as intelligent, but about how idealizing this picture of rural English life was a little bit goofy and kind of nonsense. So that's what it is. And just even if you don't know anything about English literature or like don't care about any of that kind of those kinds of books or you haven't read them, not necessary. Like just be here for Flora and her ridiculous interactions with these hilarious characters. So that's Cold Comfort Farm by Stella Gibbons. I feel like we've mildly psychologically profiled ourselves with this question. I know. <laughs> What I want to read when I'm sad is people making fun of somebody else. (laughs) I want dragons, apparently. (laughs) Fair. Um, Okay, our next question is from Heidi, who says, My book club has been going for about 2.5 years now, and I have unofficially, but kind of officially, taken over October (laughs) as my month with the intent of making the group read some super creepy stuff. My last two picks were White Tears and The Changeling. Both have really stuck with people, whether they loved them, liked them, or kind of hated them. And we particularly had a lot of great conversation about White Tears. I want to pick something in a similar vein, but I'm struggling to have that aha moment. Please help me seriously creep out my friends. Preferably something no more than 300 to 350 pages and by a woman... We do have one rule, no white men. Uh, Some other things I have recently read and really enjoyed are The Beauty, thanks, Amanda. Yes. Yes. Mushrooms. (laughs) Yeah. And Fever Dream. Those are two of your favorites. Okay, I'm just going to keep talking. I picked, so Daniel Mallory Ortberg is a trans man and is white. So I don't think that's, I think you meant no white cis men, but you didn't mm-hmm. say that. So I'm I'm going out on a limb here. But The Merry Spinster, which is uh, his short story collection published under Mallory Ortberg, is so freaking creepy. <laughs> and it is short. So it's perfect for a book club is short stories, which I think is always really interesting to talk about in a book club. And they, I mean, one of them, the Velveteen Rabbit one, legit gave me nightmares. It's so mm-hmm. gross. And then some of them are much more subtly creepy in like psychological ways. Like one of them is about gaslighting and it's just so unnerving and the opening story is one of those sort of triumphant horror stories where you're like i kind of agree with the killer in this one (laughs) and it's a retelling of little mermaid and (laughs) so yeah i think that i really think that this is perfect for you i also think that what ortberg is doing here is looking at stories that we're already familiar with in certain ways or themes that we're already familiar with from like fables or folklore you know modern literature or whatever and then twisting them and so there is like much like white tears there is interesting social commentary ortberg is just doing it in a very different way from white tears uh but i it's 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 getting to some of those same places and i think this will definitely creep out a bunch of people. So again, that's The Merry Spinster, Tales of Everyday Horror, uh, published under Mallory Ortberg by Daniel Mallory Ortberg. 
I picked Sawkill Girls by Claire Legrand, which is a YA novel, and it's a bit longer than you specified. I think it's about 450 pages, but it's YA, and it goes by pretty fast. It's a, it's a quick read. And this book is like a, it's a feminist YA version of It is what it is, but like shorter, and there's no clowns. So if there's anybody <laughs> in your group with like a clown thing, that's not that's not what's happening. Um, so Sawkill is an island off the coast of, I think it's supposed to be Maine, I don't think it's specified, off the coast of New England in the US, a really, really small island that has a thriving, you know, community that's been there for hundreds of years. And um, most of the residents are pretty wealthy, like there's, you know, rolling horse ranches, and everybody has a sailboat, and there's regattas and that kind of thing. And into this world of Sawkill um, comes Marion, who is a new girl. Her mother has been hired to be the house cleaner for one of the wealthier families on the island. And Marion is like awkward. Also, her father has just died. So like her family is really struggling for, uh, um, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, there's also Zoe, who is the daughter of the island's police police chief and because of that also because she's black also because she's not wealthy she's kind of a pariah like she's not she doesn't have a lot of friends her best friend has recently gone missing and this is where it gets interesting because you realize as you're reading more about zoe that this is a thing that happens on Sawkill on this island that girls go missing always have on and like nobody seems to care they've got they've been disappearing for decades like one every couple of years not so frequently that it's like alarming to outsiders but frequently enough that like the girls in the island know not to go walking alone at night anywhere for any reason um and of course the neighbors just kind of dismiss it as like well it's an island you know and it's new england and it's the weather is rough they probably just fell off a cliff when they were walking or they had an accident in the woods and no one's been able to find them or whatever like it's very easy to dismiss but when marion gets there she realizes that like that's nonsense. You know, like she's an outsider. She's moved here. It's not okay for like a teenage girl, specifically a teenage girl to go disappearing every five years. Like what's wrong with you people? And so she starts kind of poking around and looking into it. And Zoe will not let go of her best friend's disappearance, like will not let go of it. Um, and then they um, form like kind of a group with another girl named Val, who's like the queen bee of the island um, and who befriended Zoe's best friend before she died. So Zoe's like very suspicious of her. Anyway, this like misfit group of girls who in any other circumstances would not get along and don't get along for most of the book. Um, because they come from different classes and like social strata in the school um, start to figure out what's going on on their island. And it is like this deep, you know, centuries old evil in the very much like it um, in in that kind of way. And you find like some of the characters in the book are not who they seem. There's like a weird cult, like all of that kind of stuff. It's very, very creepy and like super atmospheric. And I will never ride a horse again. Let me just. (laughs) I mean, I say it's YA. It is, you know, obviously all the characters are teenagers, but it's terrifying. Like I don't she pulled no horror punches like this is um, something that I would not have been surprised to find out was written by Stephen King. So yeah. Good luck. <laughs> That's Sawkill Girls by Claire Legrand. <laughs> creepy. So creepy. All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> let us tell you about another sponsor, which can help you find horror or not horror, <laughs> depending. Uh, TBR, our new subscription service. If you have been dreaming of a stitch fix for books, then now it is here. You can tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and then sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. There are plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there is an option for every budget 
budget. And sign up only takes a few minutes. You answer some questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for, link up your Goodreads profile if you have one, and that's it. You're done. And then subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests. So you can give your bibliologist your feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. If you do the recommendations only plan, it's $15 a quarter or $49 a year. And then hardcovers are $75 a quarter plus $4.79 shipping and annual subscribers receive free shipping. And if you are not in the U.S., recommendations only is available worldwide. So lots of options for everybody. And you can go to tbr.co to check it out. It's my turn. My turn to read the question. I don't know why I'm singing it. Okay, Lisa is our question asker who says, I'm looking for a recommendation for my dad, Myron. That's an awesome name for a dad. Myron. I love it. Okay. Um, He retired a couple of years ago and has rediscovered, aka found more time for, his love of reading. His favorite genres are spy novels, mysteries, and historical fiction. We often chat about the books we are reading and thanks to discussions we've had about my personal reading habits and goals, he started looking for more books authored by women and with lady protagonists. I'm so excited that he's diversifying his reading list, and so is he. I would love to find him some more books by women and non-binary authors in the genres he loves. Okay, um, I'm going to keep going. I picked Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller um, because it is historical fiction and a mystery and it was the reason why i picked it up is i'm such a sucker for blurbs i'm like the only person in the book world who actually reads blurbs and cares about them but whatever it's fine um it was blurbed as like um a kind of modernish rebecca which immediately any any comps to rebecca i'm like yes i'm gonna read this i'm gonna probably read it four times like (laughs) um so it takes place in the 60s, I think, like the late 60s, 1969. And the main character's name is Frances. And she has been hired um, to go live in Linton's, which is like this dilapidated, rundown English country manor. Um, she works as a historical, what's the word? Like garden archaeologist almost or a botanist. A so horticulturist? Hi- yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I knew you would do it. Okay. So she's been hired to go uh, survey the grounds of this historical manor and, you know, like take an inventory, see what's out there as far as the plants and the architecture of the gardens and then make recommendations about what needs to be done to restore it. And also staying in this house are Kara, uh, Kara and Peter, who are like this beautiful, glamorous couple. Kara doesn't work. Uh, Peter is a historian who is doing the same basic thing as Francis, but to the interior of the house. So like all of the antiques and things like that, um, making an inventory and then making recommendations about restoration. And so since they're all living there at the same time, um, they start hanging out. They become friends. Francis is very awkward, uh, socially awkward. And and the more that you read about the book, the more you realize why she's got a, she had a very odd relationship with her mother. Also, her floorboard in her bathroom has a peephole in it that looks directly down into Peter and Kara's bathroom. So she starts kind of spying on them out of curiosity because she's socially awkward and doesn't realize that it's inappropriate. And you also realize from the from the, the first, like the book opens with Frances as an elderly woman in some kind of institution where she cannot leave. And you can't tell if it's like a hospital or a prison or maybe both. Um, and so you know something like serious happens with the three of them. You're not quite sure what. And then that's where you start. And then she goes back, you know, she starts having these flashbacks about how she met this couple. And then as time goes on, the summer, you know, gets hotter and hotter. And as it does often in English literature, hot summers equal people doing banana stuff. And so she gets wrapped up in these the lives of these two people. And of course, Kara and Peter are like nothing like what they present themselves to be. And that the more entangled Francis gets in their lives, the more like 
right and wrong becomes really confusing and what's true and what's not becomes really confusing. And then a big thing happens that I'm not going to spoil. So it's it's like it's almost like the secret history in that way where we're like you go into the book knowing something terrible has happened. Um, and then you're trying to figure out like why and how, or how these characters who seem pretty normal from the outset end up in this terrible place. It's also very small. It's only like 300 pages, but it is so intriguing. And um, I really love that like hot English summer where people are falling apart thing. Like if you read Atonement, it's got that kind of atmosphere at the beginning when they're all in the house uh, before the war starts. So I loved it. It is a, it is historical fiction. And the mystery is like done in such an interesting way. So that's Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. I'm going to have to add that to my list. I thought it was time to bring back Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke, in part because the sequel is out in September. So if he likes this one, you will not have to wait particularly long for the second one. And it does end on a little bit of a personal cliffhanger for the uh, main character. So this is a mystery. And it is written by Attica Locke, like I said, who is a TV show writer as well and has written for Empire, which is amazing. And... This is about an East Texas ranger who is black named Darren Matthews, who is sort of in a bit of a bind. He got involved with a friend's life and then somebody turned up dead (laughs) and that friend is now on trial and he's been suspended and also his marriage is falling apart. It's like a very classic prickly hero with a drinking (laughs) problem and a heart of gold kind of situation, like very classic. Uh, And so he is in this sort of situation where he is drinking too much. He's not living with his wife anymore. His career is on the rocks. And then he gets sent to Lark, Texas, a very small town by a friend in the FBI because two murders have happened. And They may or may not be connected, but a black lawyer from Chicago and a local white woman turn up dead within a couple days of each other. And it's Texas, and it's a very small town, so it is a very sort of segregated area. The black community and the white community do not so much cooperate sometimes, let's put it that way. (laughs) That's a nice way to put it. (laughs) I'm putting it very gently. There's a lot of racism in this book, including like use of slurs and, you know, racial violence. So it's it gets dark. But so here Darren Matthews comes into the middle of it and he became a Texas Ranger to sort of be like no, Texas is my home too. Like, I'm black, but that doesn't mean that this isn't my home. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay and try to make it better. And and that's what he wants to do is find justice for these two murders. And it sucks him into this, you know, crazy hornet's nest of all of these resentments and complicated family situations. And, you know, there's Aryan Brotherhood in the area, probably, and all of this stuff going on. So it's like noir, murder mystery, set in small town Texas, with a black main character, Attica Locke herself is black. It's um, it's really tense, y'all. Like this is a stressful book, but it's such a good mystery. And I did not see. I thought I knew what was going to happen, and I didn't, which is my favorite. <laughs> and like I said, the sequel comes out soon. So when I got to the end, I was like, oh, oh, like I can't believe I don't. I have to wait on this. Like the murder is solved, but then there's a next thing that happens. So again, that is Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. All right. Our next question is from Jamie, 
Who says my husband? It's another husband question. My <laughs> husband only does audiobooks, and when he finishes something, he asks for my opinion on what to read next. He only reads sci-fi and fantasy for the most part, and has listened to everything Brandon Sanderson has ever written. He also has liked the Wheel of Time series, everything by N.K. Jemisin, Becky Chambers, Wayfarers, pretty much everything Marissa Mayer, and the Bone Street Rumba and Shadow Shaper series by Daniel Jose Older. Also read a bunch of John Scalzi, Jim Butcher, Neil Gaiman, etc. Hasn't cared for Daughter of Smoke and Bone, Game of Thrones, American Gods, or Shards of Honor. Uh, can you recommend an, an SFF series by a non-white or lady author that I can suggest to him? The longer, the better. Amanda, what you got? So I picked the Queen of the Tearling trilogy by Erica Johansson. They're they're all pretty long, chunky books, so I think that he would have plenty of reading material here. Um, the thing that kind of stuck out to me about this was the Wheel of Time and Marissa Meyer comps that you said that your husband liked. And I think that these will kind of scratch that itch. I know he doesn't like Daughter of Smoke and Bone, but Queen of the Tearling is not a modern in the way that Daughter of Smoke and Bone is. And it's also not like as angsty. So I think it'll be fine. Um, It's also not YA. Like this book is described as YA by a lot of people because when it opens, the princess who becomes the queen is like 19 or 20, I think. But it's just that's incorrect. It's not it's not young adult. Um, So Princess Kelsey is the name of the main character, and she's born, she's like raised in exile. Her mother is on the throne as the queen. Kelsey is raised by two people who are not royalty, like out in the middle of nowhere for her own protection. And when she's whatever age it is, 19 or 20, her mother dies, and she has to be taken to um, the capital city to, like, you know, take her rightful place as queen of this magical fantasy realm and so she does that she's of course like super nervous she's young she was not raised in the court she doesn't know anything about how to be a ruler but as soon as she arrives in town um she starts making changes like starts recognizing injustices starts making these proclamations and she realizes that like all of the teaching and the reading that she's done when she was you know a child actually was did serve a purpose she also has a the tearling sapphire which is a jewel um that members of her royal family have always had it's been passed down and has a lot of power in it and so she uses that to you know defend her position as queen but the thing that she does when she gets there that like starts the whole plot of these three books is she ends the the, her kingdom's practice of human trafficking and in doing so makes an immediate enemy of the red queen who is the queen of a neighboring kingdom who takes these people that are selected by lottery and sh- and shipped off to the Red Queen's kingdom, she takes them as slaves. And Kelsey had no idea this was happening. And when she finds out that that's what's happening in her kingdom, she immediately ends it. And so I mean, like gets on the throne and then is at once at war with the Red Queen because she's no longer paying tribute in the form of, you know, people. Um, and then let me tell you, these books get bonkers. Like you think that you're in a Game of Thrones kind of, you know, high fantasy court intrigue, lots of drama and sword fights and all this kind of stuff. And that is true. But then there's also like time travel. And somehow you're back in like 2003. <laughs> and like, what's, what's what? going on? I, I know. And it, they bounce back and forth. Um, so there's time travel. There's like a lot of socioeconomic commentary. Like they're a little bit Marxist. I'm not going to lie. Which I loved <laughs> The ending of the trilogy, which I will not spoil, but I'm just going to say I did not see coming from a thousand freaking miles. Like it was the most shocking ending of a book, not necessarily in the content, but just like you did what? <laughs> I was shocked. And I, I, to this day, I finished this trilogy, I think, last year. And I'm still like, whoa. Like, just in awe of her daring and ending it the way that she did. Um, but I think that 
your husband will have so much to talk to you about after he finishes this trilogy because it is it's just it's all over the place and i loved it it's a very divisive like people either really really like it or just cannot deal with how it ends but i thought it was really brave and interesting so that's the queen of the tearling by erica johansson Amanda, like I don't have enough to read. I know. I read the first one and I was like, this is fine. But now clearly I'm going to have to go back and read the rest of them. It gets so bananas. You don't see any of that coming in the first one for the record. It's just like Uh, very traditional high fantasy, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's certainly not bonkers in the way that you're describing. All right. Well, okay. (laughs) Um, My pick for this question is The Machineries of Empire by Yoon Ha Lee. As you might have known, if you have listened to the show before, I am obsessed with Nine Fox Gambit and the other books in the series. Nine Fox Gambit is the first one. They are all amazing. There are three out in the trilogy, plus there's a fourth book that has short stories, so plenty to read. And I'm recommending this because it's sci-fi, but like the math that rules this universe basically looks like magic in certain instances. And also there's like a ghost sociopath general who has to possess other people in order to get things done so there's like some sort of fantastical elements but they're all mathy it's really weird it's really interesting and if your husband liked jemison and this is a similar level of dark like things do get pretty dark in this there's coercion and there's gore and there's assault and like a lot of serious stuff goes down um but i think it's comparable to the broken earth series in terms of darkness so it's so interesting it is a space opera And in the first book, you meet uh, a captain who is like going to war against heretics. And because of the mathiness of this universe, that means that these heretics have like wacky weapons that can, you know, turn people into not people and other things. And in order to defeat them, she uses what could be seen as heretical means to beat them. And she does it because she just like, she's loyal to, you know, her army and just wants to win and knows that it's probably going to be like treason and execution for her, but does it anyway. And instead of getting executed, she gets reassigned to, like I mentioned, there's this like ghost sociopath (laughs) where the heretic threat is bigger than she even she knew. And to solve it, the generals in charge are like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put a sociopathic ghost that we've had locked up in a tube for a couple hundred years into you so that the two of you together can win this war. Sounds like a great idea, right? Super intense. (laughs) So, and he was also the perpetrator of a massacre. So very dangerous in lots of ways. And the story kind of unfolds from there. And it goes in a lot of different ways. Actually, not unlike Queen of the Tearling, like books two and three. Like you kind of think you know where it's going. And then you're like, wait a minute. Like what is going on here? So it's really immersive. It's really fascinating. It is really unlike pretty much any other space opera I've ever read. And like, I think, you know, there's like a little bit of like Star Trek ishness to it in the technology but it's not it's not at all the same tone as star trek so don't don't like you know come to it from that angle think more sciencey but more like the nk jemison stuff and anyway i think he'll really dig it it's really intense and really fantastic and like i said there it's a complete trilogy plus a book of short stories so that's the machineries of empire series by yoon ha lee and the first book is nine fox gambit 
All right. Our last question is from KJ, who says, I'm looking for short, engrossing, quiet novels that I can curl up and read in my armchair in a sitting or two. It's more about a cozy feeling than about a lot of action. Recent books I have loved, the fifth description include Our Souls at Night by Kent Haroof, Whiskey and Ribbons by Lisa Cross Smith, and I Married You for Happiness by Lily Tuck. None of these books sounded terribly exciting in their descriptions, but I couldn't put them down, and they made me feel all the big feelings without a lot of action. Please help me chase those feelings again. Okay, Really emotionally intense books where nothing happens is like my favorite literary <laughs> fiction subgenre. So I can talk about this forever. The one that I picked for you is called The Cook. It's by Malis de Carangal and it's translated by Sam Taylor. It's translated from French and nothing, nothing happens in this book. It's, it's almost like a biography almost, but it's only like a hundred pages. It's about um, at the beginning of the book, it's a boy, but a boy named Maro who grows up to become a chef, a like really celebrated chef. Um, and it's told from the perspective of his best friend. She's a woman who you think like, I don't know, you got her POV. She might be a little bit in love with him, but you know, nothing ever really comes of it. But she's just like telling the story of his life and how he grows up in Paris and learns to cook and like spends a lot of time, you know, doing the grunt work that you do when you work in restaurants. Um, and then he opens his own restaurant and works 15 hour days seven days a week for several years become like makes a name for himself and then decides that like he's tired of that grind and starts traveling different to different cities in the world um to like explore this thing that he loves to do which is just make food and that's it like it's just about this guy in france who likes to make spaghetti (laughs) and told from the perspective of his friend but it's so spare and quiet and like he, he is you're looking at this character from the perspective of someone who loves him, even if not in a romantic way. And so everything he does has this like patina of like really quiet glamour and admiration over it. And so 100 pages about, you know, a a guy coming of age and learning that he really likes making spaghetti turns into this like very powerful meditation on dreams and ambition and the cost of, you know, the physical mental, emotional, social, all of that cost of putting everything that you have into your career and like, is it worth it? And so it's these big, thoughtful ideas wrapped in this really tiny, quiet, kind of nothing of a book. And I that's such a feat. That's such a literary feat. And people who can achieve it are amazing. Also, like mega co-signed I Married You for Happiness. That's like a book right favorite. Um, so I'm going, you loved it and I'm going to recommend it to all the listeners out there if you've not read it already. So that's The Cook by Maylis de Carangal, translated by Sam Taylor. Yeah, this is an excellent literary subgenre. Also, you know, when I was researching this question, I was trying to find something newer, preferably by an author of color, and I couldn't really find that much. And I, I'm wondering if any of the listeners out there have thoughts about that. I would love to hear them. Um, I'm recommending Department of Speculation by Jenny Offel, which is very similar in a lot of ways to the books that you are talking about. It is about a marriage. It is very quiet. It's very spare. It's very short. And it's just so, it's so lovely and also so thoughtful and like gave me some very sharp feelings as well. It's very interesting. So the unnamed 
heroine, as it were, uh, is, you know, contemplating her marriage. She is a mother. You know, the baby is colicky sometimes. They get bed bugs. Like, their marriage is, you know, maybe on the rocks. Um, and she was going to be an artist. And now she's a mother and a wife. And are these things incompatible? And, like, also, like, do people really have to be so smug about yoga? <laughs> like, And in the meantime, she's been hired to work for a person doing like research around a memoir, I believe it is, or a nonfiction project. I can't quite remember which it is. It's been a while. Um, but so th she's sprinkling all these factoids she's learning as part of that project in between. And so it's not really like a straight up linear narrative. They're more like little vignettes about, you know, marriage and love and motherhood and art and life and career and the mundanities of apartment life and all of those things. And it's just so powerful. Afil is such a good writer. She's so, so good at words. And yeah, I think this will just give you exactly what you're looking for. Like you feel cozy, but you're having those big feelings and thoughts and almost nothing happens, but you're just totally sucked into it. And uh, it's it's like 179 pages. It's so short. I did read it in one sitting. And it comes, actually, I love the size of this book. It's like a little sort of tiny little hardcover it was. In, and anyway, I'm sure there's a paperback version, but the hardcover was a really pleasing size. <laughs> so again, that's Department of Speculation by Jenny Offal. And that is our show. Huzzah! Wahoo! Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. Um, you can find us on social media. I am on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, it's Jen IRL. Jen with two N's, IRL. And Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. 